This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we want to rejoice over this Christmas and we want to ask you to help us to understand the true meaning of Christmas today as we study your word to us. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Do you believe in angels? Do you believe in miracles? Uh, Do you believe in the virgin birth? Now for many people, they don't. It seems really fantastical. Angels, miracles, virgin birth. And in many ways, that's the way that people see Jesus Christ. So we have an associate pastor here in our church. He works with me. His name is Y. And he often goes to university to share about Jesus Christ. And one day he was sitting at a bench with some students and some teachers, lecturers, and they were talking about Jesus Christ. A fellow lecturer comes around and uh, he happens to see them all sitting together and he sits down and he says to them, what are we all talking about today? And they said, oh, we're talking about Jesus Christ. And the lecturer says, oh, don't waste my time with such fairy tales. And in many ways, that's how people see Jesus. It's like a fairy tale. Because, you know, miracles, angels, virgin birth, these seem like the stuff of fairy tales. But the question is, why then do people still believe in Jesus Christ? Why do people take Christmas so seriously? I mean, obviously, people in church take Jesus and Christmas seriously. Now, how many of you believe in Santa Claus? Now, when I was young, uh, we used to have a Christmas tree downstairs in my house. And when I was younger, much, much younger, I used to wake up on Christmas morning and there would be presents there. My parents told me that it was Santa Claus who put those presents there. And when I was very young, I actually believed them. I thought, oh, okay, there must be this person called Santa Claus who's depositing these presents underneath this fake plastic Christmas tree every Christmas. But as I got older, I went from my belief to unbelief because I realized, hey, there's no such thing as Santa Claus, right? It's actually my parents who's putting these presents there. But when I was in my last year of university, somebody offered to read the Bible with me and I met up with this person for a few weeks to about a month plus. And over that period, I went from an unbelief of Jesus Christ to belief. Now, why is that? Why is that for many people, they go from an unbelief of Jesus to belief? I mean, obviously, a fairy tale like Santa Claus, 100% of the world doesn't believe in it. I mean, nobody goes from unbelief in Santa Claus to belief. People go from belief to unbelief. So there's a very famous Christian man called C.S. Lewis. He was 33 years old. He had already three first-class honours from the University of Oxford. He was already a lecturer at the University of Oxford when he became a Christian. There's another very famous Christian man called Francis Collins. Uh, At the age of 27, after he had become a doctor, he became a Christian. And then many years later, he became head of the Human Genome Project to sequence the whole of the human DNA. Now what causes people, obviously I'm not as intelligent as C.S. Lewis as as Francis Collins, but what causes so-called 
intelligent adult people to believe in Jesus Christ when it seems like a fairy tale, when it seems so fantastic? How do they move from unbelief to belief? I think that there are two main reasons. I think the first reason is that it makes sense of the world that we live in. So for Francis Collins, for C.S. Lewis, they looked at the world and they were atheists at the time and they said, you know, why is it people have conscience? Why is it there is this universal sense of right and wrong? Uh, You know, someone said, if you could go to Tokyo, right, the most sophisticated city in the world, maybe like New York, or you could go to the jungles of Papua New Guinea, and you could drop you down in one of these places, and you would say, come to the first person you saw, and you stole, obviously in Tokyo, their mobile phone, but if you were in the Papua New Guinea jungle, maybe you stole their shield or their spear, why would they say it is wrong? It is, it is, it is something that you've done wrong. You know, Whenever someone's done something wrong to you, you end up saying, that's not fair, that's not right. But what makes us have this sense of right and wrong? Why do we feel that other people have a common understanding, a universal understanding of what is right and wrong? Well, that was the question that C.S. Lewis and Francis Collins struggle with. Because if you look at the world that we live in, why should there be such a thing as conscience? Why should there be such a thing as shame? Why should you feel bad about the things that you do? And on the same vein, why is there such a thing as compassion or mercy or love? You see, from an atheist point of view, we are just made up of a mass of matter which just so happens to produce something called life and knowledge and self-awareness. Then, if we have this self-awareness why then do we have these electrical impulses which lead to a sense of conscience and shame and compassion, mercy and love? Because in a sense, for an understanding of evolution, evolution is only worried about two things, which is survival and reproduction. We don't need a universal sense of right and wrong. We just need reproduction and survival. We don't need compassion and mercy and love. So to make sense of the world, people like C.S. Lewis, people like Francis Collins said, well, how then do we understand it? And they understood it when they came to understand Jesus Christ and Christianity because they felt that makes sense of the world. Because in the coming of Jesus during Christmas time, it actually helps us to see conscience, the idea of right and wrong, and the idea of compassion, mercy, and love. Because the Bible says that God's character, His unchanging character, is made up of many parts, but two very important primary parts are God's sense of right and wrong. God has a perfect sense of right and wrong. In fact, if it was left to God's perfect character of right and wrong, the destiny of every man, woman, and child would be perfect justice, perfect judgment. But at the same time, God has a perfect sense, a perfect character of compassion, mercy, and love. And that's a great dilemma for God because you can't have at one sense a perfect understanding of right and wrong and justice 
and a perfect character of love, compassion and mercy. Because if I'm a perfectly right and wrong, righteous, justice person, then you must pay the price. But if I'm a person of perfect love, compassion and mercy, then I will forgive you. But you can't have both things together. But in the coming of Jesus Christ, we see that God satisfies his character of justice and rightness and wrongness. And in the coming of Jesus Christ, Jesus fulfills his character of love, compassion and mercy. Because if you look here in verse 23 to 21 to 23, it says, Jesus, sorry, Mary will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the Lord, sorry, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So God sends his own son who is God into the world to fulfill his character of perfect rightness and wrongness of justice by paying for our sins and at the same time showing us his character of love, compassion and mercy. And that's why in the world that we see, this is where the idea of conscience, of rightness, of wrongness, the idea of shame, but at the same time, the idea of love, compassion and mercy come into this world. And that's why for people like Francis Collins and C.S. Lewis, they became Christians. But it was more than just a philosophical understanding, an intellectual satisfaction and seeing, okay, now I understand how to make sense of the world. Because what they realized when they read the Bible was that the Bible was historical. It was history. Now, in the world that we live in, there's two types of proofs. There is scientific proof and there is historical proof. So, scientific proof is where, uh, okay, let's say I take this little box and I drop it, right? I didn't want to take my mobile phone because it will destroy it. Okay, if I take this box and I drop it, there it drops. If I were to do the same experiment in Sydney or in Japan or in America, I could drop this box over and over again and it drops. What is it proving? It is proving the science of gravity, the reality of gravity on us. But there is another proof, the proof of history, the proof of the law courts, the proof of the justice system where there is eyewitness testimony. So my father's father was a bicycle repairman. And during uh, World War II, uh, I was told that he repaired some bicycles of some Japanese. And uh, apparently when they rode off, uh, the tire punctured. So these Japanese soldiers came back and they beat up my father's father, who was my grandfather. My mother's mother traveled three days from Singapore to Ipoh by train. Apparently on the train, there was no food. She was very hungry. And a very kind Japanese soldier gave her some of his rice. And she, my grandmother, went all the way to Ipoh, where she gave birth to my mother. Now, because of that eyewitness testimony of my grandfather from my father's side and my grandmother from my mother's side, I know that the Japanese conquered Malaya and Singapore. I know that they were here, they displaced the British, and they colonized Singapore. 
I don't need photographs because my grandparents told me the story. In the same way, when you look at the Bible, the Bible speaks as eyewitness testimony. There are real people, real places, real time, real events. And it was told in the lifetime of these eyewitnesses. Now, when I became a Christian in my last year of university, it was because as I read the Bible more and more, week after week, month after month, that I realized that the Bible was real, was talking about history, not myth. And that's why when I went to a talk, uh, similar to a talk like this before, about people sharing about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the, the preacher challenged us and said, look, you know, uh, I'm not here to want you to become a Christian overnight. I want you to read the Bible for yourself. I want you to taste the Bible, he said. I want you to feel the Bible. I want you to chew over the Bible for you to realize that the Bible is real and that it is history. It is not talking about fiction or myth. It is real history. It is eyewitness truth. And I kept reading the Bible and over time, I found myself in this situation. I found myself painted into a corner. Like C.S. Lewis said, he was like the most reluctant convert to Christianity in the whole of England because as you read the Bible and you recognize that it is historically true based on eyewitness testimony, you recognize that you either accept the whole story of Jesus or you reject the story of Jesus. You either accept the, the Bible to be historically true based on eyewitness testimony or you just recognize it and say, ah, it's just all lies. But if you were to look at the Bible and to see it as truth, then it becomes uncomfortable. Because it means that you have to believe that God came in a supernatural way into this world. You have to believe in angels. You have to believe in miracles. You have to believe in the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. But as you look at it, you recognize that these are actually signs that God has come into this world. Now, my father, for many years, um, was very reluctant to become a Christian, and he was a doctor. So I used to share about Jesus Christ and my father, and he used to say to me, Ah, don't tell me this nonsense, you know, I'm a doctor. Who, who you know, where is there such a thing called a virgin birth? Ah, there's no such thing as virgin birth. Well, my dad is a Christian now. And then I asked him one day, I said, Hey, what about all this stuff about virgin birth? You know, you said you're a doctor. There's no such thing as virgin birth. Now you're a Christian, right? You, you've been baptized. How do you understand the virgin birth? He said, Oh, oh that's easy. There is such a thing as virgin birth. You know, today we have artificial insemination. You see, you can have virgin birth. But you don't need science to prove to you that there can be a virgin birth. Because when it comes down to it, it, it really challenges you. What it boils down to whether you believe in the eyewitness testimony of Jesus' virgin birth or whether you believe in what you've seen with your own eyes. Whether the weight of historical proof is heavier than what you've witnessed with your own eyes. Because if the eyewitness testimony is true, then Jesus was born of a virgin. Uh, there were great miracles done in his life. He was a person of profound wisdom 
He did die and he did rise again from the dead. He is God and he is the Savior. So I was watching this movie a few years ago. Uh, I don't, have you seen this movie? It's called Sully. You probably haven't watched it because, you know, it's quite a serious movie and it's not like Transformers or something or something like that. But it's a really good movie. It's, a, it's quite dry, but I thought it was really interesting. And it's about the, a real-life story of this guy called uh, Salinger. I think he's like a pilot for like 33 years, Air Force pilot, whatever. And he takes off from New York airport and uh, these flock of geese fly into the plane engines and they blow out both the engines. And in the end, he's forced to land his plane into the Hudson River and everybody survives. It's a bit like, imagine someone, I don't know if this will ever happen in Singapore, but then again, it can't happen because Marina Bay is too sh- short, right? But it's like someone landing a plane into Marina Bay, okay? And everybody's surviving. So that's what exactly happened. But the interesting thing was when he managed to save everybody, they had an air crash investigation into what happened. And they actually disbelieved uh, John Sully because they said, you know, we've never had a case in the whole of history where both engines fail. And he said was, what he, the aircraft investigator said was, you know, what you're saying is unprecedented. It is impossible for both engines to fail at the same time. It's never happened. It's unprecedented. And uh, Sally says, well, look, I felt the power go from the aircraft. I, I could hear the engine spinning down. I know that there was no power in the engine. He said, it's only impossible because it's unprecedented. It's never happened before. But now it is possible because there is a precedent. Because it's happened and I've witnessed it. And that's exactly what the Bible story is all about when it talks about Jesus. What was once unprecedented, never happened before, virgin birth, uh, miracles, all these things. Someone dying and rising from the dead. It was all unprecedented has now become a precedent. It's become possible because Jesus has done it. So this Christmas, I hope that if you don't yet know of God coming into the world in a little boy called Jesus, you will actually take the time to look at the eyewitness testimony of the Bible, that you will give it a chance to chew over it, to feel it, and to see the reality of his eyewitness testimony. And to recognize God came into the world as a savior during the time of Christmas. And you will receive uh, the wonderful gift of Christmas, which in reality is a, a renewed relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. So what I'm going to do now is uh, at the end of uh, looking at the Bible every week, we usually just ask God to keep in our mind uh, what we've already read. Uh, so I'm going to pray, and I hope that you'll join me to pray, to ask God to help us to understand more and more uh, what the Christmas story is about. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we want to thank you for your eyewitness testimony which you have preserved for us in the Bible, to tell of your son Jesus coming to the world, something that Christmas remembers and commemorates, 
To remember that God came into the world to save us from our sins. That you and your perfect character of justice and your perfect character of compassion and love was reconciled in that person called Jesus. That in the coming of Jesus, he pays for all our wrongs and fulfills uh, the character of right and wrong but at the same time displays all your love and compassion and mercy towards us and saving us from our sins. We pray that as we read your word, we will see that it is history and what we believe to be impossible before our eyes is real because it has been done in history and has come to us in your word. So we pray for ourselves that for those who are in unbelief, that they will move from unbelief to belief so that they will recognize that God has come into the world to save us and to bring us into relationship with Him. And we pray for all these things in Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online at busypc.sg.